I don't really know how to start shows. Come on now, don't start, don't start liking me now. So yeah, I'm funny compared to, you know, well, you'll see later. I stand for mayhem! I know a lot of fucking idiots. I think a lot of shit is mean-spirited just because it goes against what they believe. But the relief of comedy is it takes things that aren't funny and it allows us to laugh about them for an hour. We got a purple suit to buy and a gigantic coffin. <laughs> Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why Are You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce to you Andrew Silverstein. Who, you ask? Well, a man you know is Andrew Dice Clay, one of the true greats. Our first episode ever was The Day the Laughter Died, and we haven't talked about Dice since, really, at all. Um, so I figured it was about time we talk about the Dice Man in full, and the reason I introduced him as Andrew, Andrew Silverstein is because uh, a lot of people don't know, especially young people that just know his name. Uh, there's more to the Dice Man. The Andrew Dice Clay is just a character. The guy doesn't even really exist. Um, so I think it's interesting to take a look at his career and also the avenues he could have gone down or, you know, different uh, routes he could have taken um, and what that would have looked like. So we'll break it all down today in our 99th episode. Uh, we're coming up on 100. I think we're going to do a norm episode for number 100. So I, wanted, I, I figured it'd be good to revisit our first two subjects as we uh, hit the century mark here. Definitely. Great call. Um, oh, thank you, sir. I was fishing for that. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you want to go back through the archives, I recommend you subscribe on YouTube. We made it easy for you. You can just hit the Why You Laughing playlist and go through every episode we've ever done. Subscribe on YouTube. Become a YouTube member if you'd like. You get these episodes a week early as well as bonus episodes. Uh, or you can subscribe on Patreon. You get even more bonus stuff on the Patreon all of those links and more are found at blindmike.net. And if you'd rather just support the show for free, we appreciate it. Like we said, you can do that on YouTube or Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. You can find links for the Blind Mike Project and who are these socials at blindmike.net as well. Um, so if you want to, if any of that stuff interests you, merch, we've got that there. Um, so check blindmike.net to support the show if you so choose. Thank you. Um, yeah, so let's get right into it. Born in Brooklyn, Sheepshead Bay, as uh, the Dice Man says. He, it's what's interesting about Dice being the the character that he is is that his entire career he was attacked for thing. He was defending a fictional man, <laughs> which is the weird thing. It's in a way like. Pee Wee Herman, where Pee Wee Herman completely adopted the character until he didn't anymore. Uh, Dice, I don't blame anyone that doesn't know that that's a character because he truly adopted that. And that was him on and off stage in a lot of ways. And even people that were close to him in comedy and radio and things like that. That's the guy that they were interacting with. So I find it uh, his whole existence to be fascinating. So we start with a few clips, as we often do, from uh, Mark Marin, where Dice is talking about the early days of his career. This is before he settled on the Dice Man being the career route that he chose. He did uh, many other things on stage. Because from day one, my dad was my manager. Well, I considered him my manager. Well, let's, where did that start, though? That started in Brooklyn? That started in Brooklyn. The very first time I went on in Pips in Brooklyn. How old were you? Um, I wasn't even 21 yet. And the act was a very novel act. It was me as Jerry Lewis. Yeah. 
you know, his Nutty Professor character, not right. the one Eddie Murphy did, but right. the original Nutty right. Professor. You, you, and, and, yeah, actually, I just thought, uh, <laughs> actually, I'm a okay. human pity, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and I would take my, but in these two glasses, and I would mix together my potion, <laughs> yeah. right? And I would take it, the lights would go out, yeah. and, you know, uh, the owners of the club, right. uh, Seth Schultz, would... He knew the cue when I snapped my finger, turned yeah. the lights back on. Right. So within 20 seconds, I had to slick my hair back, which I had more of. Right. Make the Danny Zuko curl. Yeah. Strip down from a giant tuxedo shirt. And now I'm standing there as uh, Travolta as Danny Zuko from right. Greece. Right. And first of all, the Jerry Lewis impression is great. And yeah. that's something Dice never got credit for is the voices and character work that he did. And that's why I kind of set this up by saying, like, what other things could Dice have done if he chose to? Because I don't think he ever got enough credit for being the talented guy that he is. He got a lot of credit for being a rock star and, uh, you know, being really the only comedian until the 2000s that was kind of able to exploit that lifestyle. Now you have like Dane Cook is an obvious example. I would say Kevin Hart in a ways is a rock star comedian or more of a mogul. Maybe you could say even, you know, Matt Rife now is kind of developing that sort of reputation, but like pre 2000 dice was the only guy, even Steve Martin, who was playing arenas. Steve Martin was a dork. <laughs> like Andrew Dice Clay is one of the <laughs> rare guys that was able to carry that type of persona and still be considered funny on stage. Um, so, yeah, his impressions, he never got enough credit for. The other thing, too, is uh, Marin asked him later in the interview, uh, because for anyone that knows Andy Kaufman and has seen Andy Kaufman's, like, early late-night appearances, what Andy Kaufman would do is pl play the character that became Latka on Taxi, the foreign man. And uh, then, it, you know, he would do these, like, horrible impressions. He would do Archie Bunker, but he wouldn't change his voice at all. And then he goes, all right, and now I'm going to do Elvis Presley. And he would break into this perfect, spot-on Elvis impression. And that seems kind of like what Dice was doing. And so Marin asked him, like, were you influenced by Kaufman at all? He goes, no, never. <laughs> well, he said he liked Andy Kaufman, but it was actually an inspiration of Jerry Lewis. And that's, you know, what that derived from was Jerry Lewis becoming uh, Buddy Love or whatever the Nutty Professor character was, which is so interesting to me because I don't imagine we mentioned this when we did the Jerry Lewis episode. Because I never would have thought of, if you're thinking of uh, coaching trees, I never thought, well, obviously Andrew Dice Clay comes from the Jerry Lewis school. You weren't thinking of that at all. <laughs> Definitely not. Dean Martin, you could make more of a comparison for probably, but. Definitely like the, uh, the persona kind of, he's, yeah, he's more, yeah. he's more turned up, but similar. Yeah. But that's what's interesting is like Dice could have done that. Now he did say like the Jerry Lewis thing didn't get a lot of laughs on stage. It wasn't until he, you know, turned the lights down and turned into to, to uh, Travolta that it really hit. But that's what I'm saying is I, I wonder if he went down the road of self-deprecation or impressions like would he have been successful? I don't think he would have been nearly as successful as he was, but I do think it's an interesting concept because it's like, what would he have done? Could he have gone on Saturday Night Live, which he did once, which we'll get to. But uh, I think it's interesting to think about, but let's continue. Uh, this is uh, early success. Yeah, so he, he, he popped pretty early. I mean, he didn't really explode until uh, 1988, but, you know, he started in the comedy store in like the late 70s, early 80s. 
And uh, he, he was off to success pretty quickly. Like you heard there, he was only, you know, 20 years old uh, when he started. So. Mm-hmm. And when I came into comedy, I started working with my father so I could do the comedy at night. And he started managing me. Yeah. And that was exciting because while guys were making 20 bucks a night because of the, the Jerry Lewis Travolta act. Yeah. He was getting me like a thousand dollars a night to play these big discos at 22 because Travolta was the biggest thing in the world. So, so I would end my act with doing grease lightning. Yeah. You know, yeah. And it was a very polished act. When I saw Travolta yeah. in Greece, right. I realized, okay, I know what my act could be because yeah. I didn't want to go to acting school. Right. You know, I just don't believe in it. You right. know what I mean? What do you mean? Well, what I mean is you either have natural ability or you don't. Yeah. And the, and the point is I, I was looking at rock stars mm-hmm. and movie stars. And when I started doing the comedy, I was doing this crazy little act. Yeah. That the first time I went on at Pips, they hired me to headline that weekend. Yeah. And I said, because the place went, when I turned into Travolta, the audience actually broke the club apart. <laughs> so, you know, not not necessarily in terms of notoriety, but in terms of success as far as, like, making money. Like, if he's making $1,000 for a set in 1978 or whatever it was, right. that's pretty rapid success at that time. Not a lot of guys were doing that that quickly. Oh, that's like five or and, six uh, grand a night right now. Easily, yeah. yeah. If not more. Right. Um, but uh, he also did... Uh, in addition to the impressions he's been talking about, he does a great Stallone. Like, I guess he would do a bit on stage at this time. And this is, he was still going on stage as um, Andrew Clay or Andrew Silverstein. And uh, Andrew Clay, I think was his stage name, but uh, he would do Stallone. And he did the bit uh, with, I think it was with Marin or maybe Rogan where he does uh, Stallone, like studying French or reading a French menu or something. And it's very funny. He does a great Rodney um, uh, in in one of his, you know, very popular specials. He did Stallone, De Niro and Rodney impressions. So he did still do these on stage. I, he wasn't recognized for them as much. Right. And he also does a tremendous Elvis, which I think he's about to talk about. But um, that's where I think the Andy Kaufman comparison seems most striking. It was interesting that he said, like, he wasn't a huge Kaufman fan necessarily because the other interesting part of it is they both did like uncanny Elvis impressions and uh lost my train of thought here what was I going to say about his uh uh well I've talked long enough about the impressions what's the next clip uh the Elvis of stand-up oh that's what I, that's perfect that's what I was going to say is he was influenced much more by music and that's why, you know, in some cases you might not believe, you'd be like, oh, of course he was, if he's a comedy fan, of course he was influenced by Kaufman. He was influenced by musical acts, which he talks about here. Yeah, he's often said that, like, he doesn't really like stand-up. <laughs> no, well, I will say he does, he talks about, um, he like he must like stand-up to an extent. Because right. over the years I've heard him talk about younger comics, and he broke Jim Norton. Like well, we're I think, obviously a big fan. Of. I, yeah, I think it's more of a recent thing that he's appreciated it more because, like, in older yeah. interviews, he'd be kind of like, "Yeah, I'm just kind of doing it to." Absolutely. Make yeah. a Early name. in life, I don't think he dreamed of being a stand-up. He got into music young, right? Um, but he wanted to be a musician, and that's what he's getting into here with the Elvis comparison. Came to the comedy store and realized, all right, no producer is buying me to play Jerry Lewis. So I have to start becoming whatever I am on stage. 
And I would watch all the comics, guys like, you know, at that time, from Seinfeld to Leno to... And they were all great. Louis Anderson. Louis Anderson. They yeah. were all great. But what what I feel comedians are missing, that's why I don't think comics went to rock star status, was performance. And that's what I got from Elvis. Spectacle. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. You know, theatrical. Sure. And so after five, six minutes, I walk out of the room, not because they were bad, because I was bored, and I decided... If I'm going to stay in stand-up and develop this, I want to create the most exciting stand-up ever. I want to create the Elvis of stand-up. Well, okay. That's such an interesting mindset because literally no one was doing that. And it's hard. It's like we've talked about with uh, Lenny Bruce, for example, and some other guys where it's hard to, you know, build do an art form that already exists, but it's even harder to create something that's never existed before. Right. So the idea of becoming an arena comic, like the, where people are chanting your lines back at you, having that idea seems impossible because there's no base level to go on. It's on, honestly to draw a, a comparison that I've witnessed. It's what I think of when I'm at the Kirk Minahan show live shows where I'm like, I can never hear or see anything, but the, the gist of it is... <laughs> Neither can I, I. I always think there's nothing else. What even made him think to do this? Because there's not another podcast that's incorporating all the things that he incorporates into a live show. It's such a, you know, it's a very unique mind. And based on reputation, you would not think Dice has that. You know what I mean? Like, based on what we know Dice has, you wouldn't think, oh, he's this insightful, innovative guy who you know, focuses on doing some, building something that no one else has created. You yeah. just think of him as, as a, you know, misogynist pig because that's kind of what he was, you know, billed as in the media for a long time. But there is true insight there right. and credit that big, massive credit to him because what a lot of people fall into is, Oh, I can do voices. I'm a voice guy. You know, I think it's something like uh, Dan Soder had to kind of figure out in his career now where it's like, Oh, I have the ability to to do voices, but do I want to be Frank Caliendo or Rich Little? You know what I mean? Because right. you kind of get into that trap where, oh, yeah, now you're the impressions guy. So instead, I got to find my own voice, and that's what Dice set out to do. And uh, here he is talking about his confidence. I mean, that plays a major part. And uh, if you know one thing about Dice, I would say that's uh, uh, probably 90% of it. I mean, you have to be the most confident man on earth to do the day the laughter died. So. Yeah, I could not I could not pull off any of the dice act. No. <laughs> it, it's a rare breed. I'm going to go up and read nursery rhymes, and everyone's going to yeah. love this. Well, that's, that, that's actually literally what he's talking about here. It's, uh, oh, it? very, it, it's all confidence. That was when I first started, you know, being dice on stage. What happened was I really didn't have any material yet. I would just practice in my mirror. Yeah. Because it was more about the image I'm going to present. Right. Yeah. And, and Dice is really a heightened version of who I am as a Brooklyn guy. Right. You know what I mean? So, because when you're on stage, you know, it's all to me about animation and putting on a show for people. Yeah. That they walk out, and no matter who they've seen, they remember that guy in the leather jacket. The, with the cigarette lighter yeah, and exactly. everything. So yeah. I lit my cigarette. And I had no material, and I looked at the crowd, and I didn't say anything. Yeah. And I took a puff at the cigarette, like I'm doing now. Yeah. And I say, you know, I've, uh, I've been up here for about, I don't know, two minutes. <laughs> Haven't told you any jokes. Yeah. With a straight face. Yeah. 
but I sort of just been smoking a cigarette. <laughs> but you see, I could come on a stage and not tell any jokes and sort of just smoke a cigarette for a minute or two and keep your attention. Right. And the reason I could do that is, well, the fact is... I'm just that fucking good. (laughs) (laughs) We always cite Patrice as the example of confidence on stage, but we should be citing Dice because while what Patrice did, of course, was impressive, but what Dice would do is literally walk on stage, not speak, blow himself and get laughs. (laughs) It's extraordinary, really, when you you break it down like that. (laughs) He's, He's the best. I... So like one of the first specials, um, so when I was in high school or whatever, I kind of started collecting, I have a box of stand-up DVDs, like hundreds of them. And one of the first ones I got was, uh, the Dice Man Cometh. It came out in 89. Sure. And I thought it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Cause he goes yeah. up there and does exactly what he just said. He stands there and he's just smoking, making like those noises with his mouth and then just goes, so I got my tongue in this chick's ass. <laughs> and, yeah, the, yeah. and the punchline is that he's in the line for the bank. <laughs> I'm on line at the bank. <laughs> so, <laughs> just like, okay, this is fucking ridiculous. I love it. Well, here's what's interesting about Dice, though, is that he did, I think, much like Howard Stern. Uh, it's weird. I wouldn't have said this 10 years ago. I think Dice was actually smarter than Stern. Uh, yeah. I think Dice knew what he was doing in the character that he was building. Mm-hmm. And if he, you know, picked up some misogynist pigs as fans along the way, so be it. I think Stern got to a point where he was like ashamed of his audience. Well, I know that he got to that point where he was ashamed of his audience and maybe surprised by his reputation. And that's where I do think Dice is is smarter, or at least more realistic might be a better word, than yeah. Howard Stern was. Because I think they play similar, similar roles in pop culture. Because I think both of them were, to an extent, satirical. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dice to a large extent. Well, I think apparently, Howard, apparently Howard, too. We just didn't know uh, it. Howard may, may have been completely satirical, or now he is. Who knows? But, but what's interesting with Dice is... Um, that's what I'm saying is I would have thought of Howard as a, a genius and dice as a guy who kind of, you know, backed his way into fame. (laughs) And then the more you learn, you realize like, Oh, dice is doing like commentary on what this guy is, what, what this character would be. And is almost making fun of what a lot of his core fan base became. And it's something that no one ever gave him credit for. And it is kind of a shame, but he's handled it a lot better than I think Howard Stern and some other people like Jimmy Kimmel, a lot of other people like in the, you know, current 2023 world, uh, haven't handled it nearly as well as dice. And I think, uh, we have a clip of dice and Tom green later. And I think Tom green was the one that asked him like, you know, where does the the where's Andrew Silverstein begin and dice end or vice versa. And dice is like, I've haven't figured that out in, 30 years, now 40, basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin used to say when he was playing a character on TV, yeah. it was basically just him turned up to 11. So that. Yeah, that, wrestlers are probably a good example of that in yeah. the sense that I think there's a lot less commentary in wrestling. It was more purely for entertainment. Yeah. But 
but that is a good example where those guys eventually kind of become their characters and almost lose sight of Ex- what was a joke and what was real and what was them and what wasn't. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I think our next clip is uh, the the Rodney. Um, no, uh, him talking about Mitzi. Oh, okay. Yeah, let's hear that first. Because like I said, he got into the comedy store and uh, he talks about uh, Mitzi liking him, but it didn't quite take off there right away. And Mitzi herself told me when I stopped doing the Travolta act and started doing Dice, she said, it's never going to work. And I go, yeah, why's that? And she goes, number one, it's too tough. And it's not self-deprecating. I go, just leave me at the Westwood Comedy Store. Let me worry about it. And Mitzi loved me from the first day she met me. When I came down, what I called the runway walk from Westwood, she called. I wanted. I auditioned at the store, did a 28-minute audition. And this uh, MC starts screaming at me when I come off the stage. I didn't know he's, who he was. And he goes, you're never going to play this fucking club again. This I go, are you the owner? Because I'm 21. So I'm a bad, I'm a 21-year-old Brooklynite who doesn't give a fuck. If you're in my way, I'm going to get you out of my way. So I said, are you the owner of the club? And he goes, no. I go, well, I didn't come 3,000 miles to do three minutes, so get out of my way. <laughs> Love that. I, I think Dice having the start in music and not necessarily being a huge comedy fan for a guy like that who, you know, hinges on confidence so much, I think it does help him because I think while it could hurt a lot of guys that get into comedy because they don't understand kind of the structure, the stepping stones, you know, I, I think it hurts them. That You know, they run their mouth to the wrong people and all that sort of shit. Yet I think Dice, it, that confidence just is so him and so natural that you don't even necessarily think of it as like an arrogant thing. I always, I always think of this with uh, Dice is like he reminds me, or Portnoy reminds me a lot of Dice, in that like there's things he says where with other people you'd be like, well, that's an incredibly unlikable human being, but just the way he's presenting it. Oddly, both Jews pretending to be Italian. I don't know what the <laughs> correlation is there, but 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 for whatever that whatever that is. It's like, boy, anyone else reading this transcript would be gross. But for whatever reason, coming out of your mouth, it's entertaining. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Exactly. Uh, Next, we have the uh, Rodney clip. Yeah, so this goes back to something he was talking to Marin about. That It's similar to the story he was describing. And this is also the Rodney uh, HBO Young Comedian special that he did that broke a lot of comedians. Um, but Dice is probably the most notable where the the legend is that this was Dice's version of Carson, where, you know, Carson calls you over to the couch. Next day, your career is made. Um, that's sort of the, the lore with this appearance, um, with Rodney, with Dice, which is big for Dice. Cause like I said, you know, wasn't the biggest comedy fan necessarily, but he did love Rodney. And you can see a lot of Rodney influence in Dice just in their delivery and the way they talk. Yeah, folks, this next gentleman comes from Brooklyn, okay? <laughs> and I guess the best way to describe him is to say he's the typical boy next door. <laughs> say hello to Andrew Dice Clay, okay? Here we go. Now. Hey, Andrew, hey. Right. Right. <laughs> Get ready for science.
I mean, this is on television. Little Miss Muffet sat on a tuffet <laughs> eating. Occurred some way. Long came a spidey, sat down beside her. He said, Hey, what's in the bowl, bitch? <laughs> I mean, to do that on television, to have that sort of stage <laughs> presence, to walk out there and say nothing for, let's say it's 10 seconds long, that silence on live television. TV, you're not live TV, but you know what I mean. That's an eternity. Like, that's forever to just say nothing. And a lot of guys would think if they were doing that, A, it would be because of nerves, and they would think, like, I'm blowing the biggest opportunity I'll ever get. Where it is with Dice, that's part of the performance. It's, hey, you want to hear what I'm going to say, so I'm going to make you wait for it. <laughs> it's very impressive. And then uh, he also told Marin that, like, he would read... Um, you know, we heard the clip where he's talking about doing the nursery rhymes and stuff and that he would read joke books and he would do in that dice persona, he would do like joke book jokes and use it to work on his delivery because it was all about confidence. And Marin asked him like, were you embarrassed by that? And he goes, no, because I was the goal that I sought out by that was met. I was strictly seeing if like my confidence would be enough to entertain an audience. And right there, that's what evolved from that is just changing the uh, a children's nursery rhyme into something offensive and people love it. And what's weird, it's, it's really the only example like this. You know, I know we mention a lot like Burt Kreischer's got the machine story and Jim Gaffigan has hot pockets and Regan has a million examples of things people yell out. There's a bunch of comedians where people are like, hey, do this bit. But what's incredible about what dice built is that joke sounds weird to me because I'm like, why isn't the crowd chanting with him? <laughs> why isn't everyone in the room yelling? What's in the bowl, bitch. <laughs> he's the only word. He's the only comic that people sang along with his, oh, <laughs> with yeah. his punch lines. Well, there's a reason he ended up closing with those. Right. Cause it just becomes chaos. <laughs> and he shows. still does them. I saw him at the, the Chevalier theater here in, uh, outside of Boston. And uh, he he'll still close with that, and it's kind of similar to like what Regan does, where he's like, "Hey, I'll do that shit at the end. Don't worry, <laughs> you know, just to yeah. get the hounds off his ass in the in the crowd." And you know, I saw him in probably twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, and uh, people, you know, the entire crowd still knows every word. Now, granted, it's an older crowd, but it's still pretty fucking impressive. Thirty years later. Oh yeah, he he. Everyone always compares him to a rock star, and he does. He closes. He does the encore, which is all of the big hits. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, next, we have him with Larry King talking about his character. Yeah, so this is where things get uh interesting for Dice. Well, I don't want to get too far out of myself. Let's hear him talking to uh the the legend of Larry King. Well, I, mean, I knew yeah, guys you know, like Dice. And, and you, that's you're from Chief yeah. that's Dice is a guy we knew. Smoking on Larry King. Yeah, but in a way it's not because the language is what makes it funny. Those characters exist, but I haven't really met anybody that'll that'll talk like that. You know, because I've said it in interviews before, I wouldn't really 
hang out with a guy that, that talks like that and believes those things. You but wouldn't I, like that guy? No. But comedically, I think it's funny. Why? Because I think in the, not even in the backs of people's heads, I think they really do think some of those things. You know, I, I think people do have one night stands. And I, I think that uh, people do get aggravated if they're online at the grocery and have one item and the guy in front of them has a basket. If that guy doesn't go, go ahead, go ahead of me. You know, and they get mad at it, but they stand there and, qu- and they're quiet. But on stage, I call them on it. Yeah, so Dice would kind of tap into, like, what people... It's, it's sort of, it's odd, again, another weird comparison, to say he's like Larry David, which is why I thought his show should have been more successful on Showtime. But Dice was kind of men's inner monologue at that time. He was speaking to a lot of people that may have thought some of the things privately, but like you wouldn't behave like that in public. Now where it got tricky for dice, I think, and there's a lot of comedians that deal with this now, like I'll hear uh, Nick Mullen talk about this a lot. And uh, Shane Gillis, where the, based on their material, like they say a lot of things that would be deemed defensive or whatever, but they do it in a way that's very funny. And the audience they've cultivated generally people get it, but there are always a few that will come up to them after the show and just drop some slur completely out of context and kind of expect like Shane or Nick to be like, hey, funny, right? Like I'm a, I, me and you are the same. We both say slurs and they're like, no, no, no. You, there's, there's nuance to it. You have to finesse these things to make them funny. You can't just drop offensive shit. And that's, I think the great separation between just edgelords that throw out, you know, slurs, let's say on a, 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 an offensive podcast or something um, with with their two buddies uh, versus someone that's really (laughs) versus someone that's really like trying to cultivate something funny. Yeah. Like, um, you know, that happens with, with friend of the program Harmon as well. Like, uh, you'll be out because he's, you know, the be a man guys. People come up and be like, women fucking suck, right? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> right. Well, it's it's the ultimate problem with Howard Stern and the yeah. problem he had with his audience. I think Opie and Anthony were all, any any people like any, any offensive guy, any guys that are doing offensive material like that. Uh, Kirk and Portnoy, same thing. I mentioned them mm-hmm. like people have this this thought about Barstool. And it's like, no, they're trying. Don't you understand? They're like trying to be funny. They're not responsible for how their fans interpret it. Right. And how they behave afterwards. Right. It's like everyone's an adult and the vast majority of people take that in as humor and content and go about their day and don't do anything with it. Exactly. Um, so that, that, that's the tough thing. And dice was really maybe the earliest guy to kind of take on that burden. I'm trying to think of someone who was before him in that way. I mean, there are guys that are obvi- that obviously fought for language like Lenny Bruce and Carlin and Mort Saul and a bunch of others. But in the way that we're talking about where Dice was doing a character of kind of our, you know, our id, our worst, the worst version of ourselves, um, to to an extent, like you know the the misogyny and homophobia, he was saying things that people were thinking at that time, but it was like inappropriate to say. He was even like right before Stern. He was basically the same era as Stern, mm-hmm. so I can't say he one was before the other really. But like those two guys kind of cultivated that thing in the nineties. And when I look back at it, I don't know if it was good or bad for society. I think it's honestly 
a hard barometer to read because when you look at some things that happened, like I think a lot of the, the position we're in now, um, you know, with YouTube censoring a bunch of words and stuff like that, like you guys might notice there's clips we have to bleep or take out of episodes and stuff like that. That's all because I'm not saying we're the victims. I'm saying you to anyone on YouTube, um, that's all because I think the nineties got to such a insane point where people were saying whatever. Like if you go back and listen to old Stern clips, you're like, this was set on the radio. <laughs> Maybe we did get a little too crazy. So I don't, ultimately I don't know like if it was a good thing or bad thing, what guys like Dice and Stern were doing, but I b- truly believe the blame is on us. It's not on them at all. Right. It's how we behaved because of that. Like if some <clears throat> asshole in Dice's crowd is a pig to a woman and says something horrible or does something horrible, that's on that man. It's not on Andrew Dice Clay. Right. You could say that you could say that he's the first person to like ever be canceled. One of. I mean, in the way we think of it now, certainly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like again, like Lenny Bruce got arrested for words yeah. he said. But yeah, in the way that we think of it, where people were offended by him, so he started having shit taken away from him. Yeah, he he, he was at the forefront for that. And I think that's kind of what we're getting into here, where uh, Dice had massive success. So this character really took off after the um, Rodney Young Comedian special. And then, uh, you know, he put out, like you said, the Dice Man Cometh and Dice Rules and all these monster, monster albums. Um, he's the first comedian to sell out Madison Square Garden two nights in a row, um, which, you know, even Steve Martin at his height didn't do that. There's no yeah. other act you can compare that to, really, where two nights in a row you're able to fill up MSG and then the next night there's a whole nother group of 18,000 people that'll come back and see you. Well, actually, that's probably what part of that is is again the way you know you talk about with a lot of concerts dice is a guy people probably wanted to see back-to-back nights right you know what i mean like hey i wonder if he's gonna do different nursery rhymes on saturday you know yeah you can uh, he, he would always called it in concert too i, I always yeah. noticed yeah um, craig's talking like a little girl looking at his his idol I it was so cool how he did he's Chris Farley no no that that goes back to my point that he did he thought like a musician not a comic it was always like the last thing on his mind in my opinion yeah well again what's interesting about though that is uh, like we're talking about his albums um one of one of if not his most popular album was the day the laughter died Mm -hmm. uh part one there are two parts actually most some people suggested we do the second one Yep. Um, which might be worth it at some point, maybe a bonus or something. We'll see. But um, the day the laughter died, the first episode we ever covered, we talked a lot about it. Go back and check it out. But uh, like, I think that got all the way up to in the 30s on the Billboard 200, something like that. That's nuts. like what's insane about that is it's really the most experimental comedy album of all time ever. And again, you would expect that from, I don't know, John Mulaney, Bo Burnham, one of these like kind of alt guys that are funny, but known for being weird and doing yeah. experimental stuff. Mulaney, I probably shouldn't have even thrown in there. 
Yeah. Uh, Bo Burnham is probably a better example. Or even like Patton Oswalt or something like that. Yeah, I think even in that first episode, we talked about how that special kind of spawned some of the stuff that Bo Burnham's done and Maria Bamford or even Harlan Williams did a special yeah. on the side of a mountain. Stuff, stuff that we know is alt comedy. And it's interesting because some people yeah. have suggested we do an episode about alt comedy. And I couldn't even really tell you what alt comedy is until I heard recently. I'm trying to think of what younger comics said this. It might have been Mike Cannon, I think. Uh, so th- there's really no definition of alt comedy. Alt comedians were pretty much anyone that went into the comedy cellar in the early 2000s and were afraid of, afraid of Patrice and Voss calling them gay. Because <laughs> 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 when you look at like Patton Oswalt, Mike Birbiglia, Mark Maron, like they're just doing stand up. You know, right. like, I was always like, why did they become alt comedians? And it's like, yeah, they cause, because they didn't fit at the comedy cellar table, alt, I guess. Alt comedy. A perfect definition would be that that clip that's going around of that guy being like, uh, this chick's a woodland creature. And I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> like, that's my definition. Yeah. <laughs> See, if I was going to describe all comedy, I would say it's The Day the Laughter Died, uh, Inside by Bo Burnham. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, stuff that like Rory Scovel has done and Todd Glass. Um, I'm sure there's a million other examples, but those are the first that come to mind. But like the first of what I would think of as alt comedy would be The Day the Laughter Died where he's literally saying like, I want to bomb. I want it to be uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And what that all comes from is you heard him talk about Mitzi and saying that Mitzi loved him and everything, but said like, you know, ah, it's too, it's not self-deprecating enough. It's too dirty. You know, what you can do is go on late at the comedy store. You can go on at 1 AM at the comedy store. So he would close every night at the comedy store and he'd be talking to, you know, three drunks, that just, you know, aren't even there for the show. They just haven't left yet. You know, they want another <laughs> yeah. drink. Yeah. And Dice said, like, now he's playing arenas. He doesn't get that anymore. He kind of misses it. And so what he did is, you know, the, uh, was it the night after Christmas? Or was it Christmas Eve? I can't remember. Wasn't it? Uh, uh, it was somewhere around there within a few days. I forget exactly. Oh, I yeah. think it was the 28th and the 29th. He did back. Yeah, you might night. be right. Yeah, Something. go back and listen to the first episode. We had all the facts correct then. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, like, you know, right around Christmas time in New York, he walks into Dangerfields and just purposely bombs and gets into arguments with the audience and shit like that. And that's what's so surprising about that album is it was essentially a mainstream comedy album. Like, it was this weird experimental thing that you'd think no one would really understand except maybe, like, hardcore comedy fans. But I think that's part of Dice Mania is that people were just thirsty for any Dice content. So even if they didn't get it, I think a lot of people bought it. December 26th and 27th, 1989. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Night after Christmas. I was right. Yes. Um, but uh, here he is talking about the uh, MTV Awards. Yeah, so Dice is, uh, you know, he's risen to insane heights that no comedian has ever seen, truly. And uh, this is sort of the start of the downfall. He had a few things happen that kind of chiseled away at that reputation. You know, and he goes, well, this is the way things go. I go, don't fucking tell me how things go. Okay. You're not my boss, you know? And as I'm getting angry at him, which in my mind, I'm going, are you really getting angry at Dick Clark? Right? <laughs> they start introducing me. Well, I come out there. Now I'm angry. Now everybody's going to pay. Now everybody will be disciplined. And I don't know how I did the set, but I went into the poems. Now, you got to understand, this is not HBO or Showtime. This is 
MTV. This is everybody gets this. It's free. You know, I go into the poems. <laughs> Not and, true. Uh, <laughs> what was the poem? Uh, oh, that got me banned. I go, Georgie Porgy putting in pie, jerked off in his girlfriend's eye. When her eye was dry and shut, Georgie fucked that one-eyed slut. Oh, and the crowd's going fucking crazy. So I figured, go into my fat girl stuff. And ended just, with, just for context, the 13-year-olds that watched MTV at this time were like, yeah, dice, get them. You tell that slut who's boss. I just love that. So I decided to go into my fat girl stuff. <laughs> I said, this is working so well. <laughs> Which, to be fair, with the audience, I think it was killing. It's just, he, he, he uh, not forgot, but um, he wasn't taking into account that it was on television. <laughs> Crazy. So I figured, go into my fat girl stuff. Ooh. And that ended with, you don't know where the tits begin and the belly ends. It's like one big glop of shit, right? <laughs> And I go, now I go, because they gave me a signal. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the last Puritan, share. And she comes out singing, if I could turn back time, which is what everybody was thinking in the room, <laughs> if we could turn back time about eight minutes. But in the meantime, while I'm doing the act, Dick Clark goes to charge me. And Arsenio jumps on his back and tackles him. Dick, Dick Clark's trying to stop your set? Dick Clark was going to jump. He went out of his fucking mind. Oh his hair got God. messy. I'll put it to you that way. <laughs> Arsenio's wrestling Dick Clark to the ground. He's just like, his hair got messy. <laughs> That's the, the part I forgot about that story. He's introducing Cher. I know. <laughs> Oh, and by the way, ladies and gentlemen, share. <laughs> so for anyone that you know doesn't know, if you're uh, too young, any, any kids watching out there, MTV, like I, now it's still for, I think like, you know, teenagers essentially. But back then it was like the hippest thing there was. It was where, you know, music videos started and all that shit. Like MTV was like the height of, of its hipness in 1991, 91, 92, 91 was the year Pee Wee was on it. I wonder if this was the same year. I should have looked at that. <laughs> he came back. <laughs> what a wild year that would have been. <laughs> um, MTV's no, going to get charged by the government or something. <laughs> <laughs> like, we, this can't exist anymore. <laughs> but yeah, this is like, you know, this, so the VMAs are like, it's, it's Oscars, but for kid teenagers and college kids essentially mm -hmm. so it's like kind of the 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 barometer of of cool at that time yeah, like if you were performing on it you were extremely relevant those used to mean something to that show yes yeah absolutely like a lot even up until i was a kid i think yeah. probably 10 years ago they started to fade correct but but like up until then, it was always supposed to be like a cool thing. And, you know, kind of the most relevant pop culture figures would be at the VMAs. And that's what Dice was <laughs> just fucking yeah, cursing nonstop. And here's the interesting thing. And Opie and Anthony talk about this a lot, where when they got fired for Sex for Sam, they said they were on like this unstoppable train where every day you tried to top yourself. You know, one day you're seeing how far you can shove a wiffle ball bat up a girl's pussy. So the next day you have to top that. 
And it's like, okay, I guess we'll have to, couples have sex in public in different spots in New York. You know, you have to come up with things that are more and more crazy. And I think Dice suffered from that a little bit where he had to like out offensive himself. At a certain <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Where it did, I think it did eventually stop being about the, the satire or the commentary. And we're just like, how fucking crazy can I get? So if I'm talking about shooting jizz in a girl's eye as I bring Cher on stage, that's pretty wild, right? If yeah. we're on television. <laughs> I heard him tell this story one time and I, I went and found the actual footage of mm-hmm. that and you watch it and I was like, well, he didn't exaggerate one little bit. That's exactly how it's pretty it, accurate. That's exactly <laughs> how it happened. <laughs> so we have him uh, talking about the, the meeting they had about him, right? Uh, yeah, it was banned for life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And so the next day there's this big meeting at MTV and Rick Rubin was there, you know, and, you know, my my people that I worked with, uh, Sandy, all these, but it was the presidents that banning me for life, you know, which is hilarious. I'm not even a singer, you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I was like, so I'm banned. Uh, a guy who was definitely influenced by Andrew Dice Clay would be Artie Lang. And yes. it reminded me when he said that of when Artie was banned from ESPN for life. Yeah. And uh, Artie was like, oh, that, does that mean they won't televise me at the Combine next year? <laughs> <laughs> it's on band. What do I give a shit? Look at the numbers. You know? Right. And, um, but Dick Clark, this is why Dick Clark became Dick Clark, because the guy that was trying to tackle and beat me to a pulp for what I was doing is standing there. His hair is now fixed the next day. <laughs> And he says to a room full of executives when they're banning me for life, he goes, are you sure you want to do that? Because Rick Rubin told me. He goes, this guy is the biggest thing in the world right now, and you're banning him for life? It was just one of the crazy moments of Mm. the backlash of my career. So you forget, like, if you think if you're my age, you think of Dick Clark as a guy who couldn't speak on New Year's Eve, basically. (laughs) But you forget you forget he was not only like, you know, culturally relevant for a long time, but he got entertainment. And even though he knew Dice couldn't be saying the shit he was saying on television and wanted to go run up and stop him. He also understood, like, hey, what good does it do us banning this maniac, this guy that is going to bring so many eyeballs to our ward if we have him back next year? Do you, do you have any idea how many people are going to watch? Do you, you understand know? how loud the ovation would be when he walked out? <laughs> yeah. So, like, what are we really doing? And it did. It seemed very silly to me because we're doing this episode in 2023. And I was like, if Dice went on MTV today, what, none of the same people. Would they even know he was banned? And then I learned uh, the ban was lifted in 2011, I yes. guess. So I don't know what it was in 2011 that made him be like, that, that, that's it. <laughs> They, Enough's enough. We got to get Dice back on for our catfish marathon. They thought he was fantastic in Entourage. I'm like, he really changed him. It's, it's right around the same time, actually. Yeah. yeah you're right. yeah. Maybe it was that. Um, next. So, yeah. yeah, this is where uh, things started to take a turn for Dice a little bit. He's getting banned from, like I said, what was culturally one of, if not the biggest television station, particularly for like Dice's audience kind of at that time. Um, so he's banned from that. And then now, if you want to talk cultural relevance, I think we're getting into SNL, right? No, this is uh, him talking about Nora Dunn. Well, that, that that's all part of the same oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, then yes. Yeah, so Nora Dunn was uh, on Saturday Night Live at the time. And by the way, 
Also on Entourage, which is interesting <laughs> when you think about it. Um, it's all coming but Nora together. Dunn was a cast member on Saturday Night Live, and um, Dice was hosting in the early 90s. And we saw this with Chappelle not too long ago, where, uh, you know, the writers and some of the cast uh, got all up in arms that Dave Chappelle... Oh, Elon Musk is the... Uh, Chappelle also. But Elon Musk was the one I was thinking of more so. Where people were like, I won't be on the show if he's on. Oh, yeah. And uh, really trying to get their name out there. And Dice speculates that may have been what uh, Nora Dunn was doing as well. At least people like who wouldn't go on Saturday Night Live or something else. Did uh, you ever feel like calling them up and say, hey, you know, this is an act. I'm doing a bit. Well, they know that. You know, they know. Why not and, go on? What's the difference? Well, I just look at it like, you know, when something's hot, it's like all these groups that deface my billboards and this and that. They know when they do that, that their name is going to be mentioned on the news. I really don't think they care if because they do that, my movie sells more tickets. But when they hear the name of that group on TV, they're going, oh, look, they're saying our name, you know? And so they go uh, after something hot. They're not going to go after a comic that started Monday night. They're going to go after someone that's hot and does this kind of thing. What you're saying is if there were an actress booked on the show tonight and she announced she's not going to go on Larry King. Yeah, her name's going to be on, mentioned. Her name is going to be yeah. mentioned. And you're saying that's for effect they're doing it because they yeah. should understand it's an act. I mean, you know, a great example is Nora Dunn. I like Larry trying to acquit himself. I'm also offensive. You think they'll boycott me? <laughs> I'm the bad boy. <laughs> the bad boy of CNN, Larry King. <laughs> so, yeah. So, Nora Dunn says, I'm not doing SNL if, uh, if Dice is going to be on it. And, you know, um, so we Con played the clip earlier. Kanye West was uh, the other one that I couldn't think of a second ago. <laughs> oh, did he host recently? Uh, he was on and people were pissed. I remember that being a backlash. He, and he went on with like a Trump hat and shit. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking more uh, post Alex Jones. Oh, he was on? I, yeah. That's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah. He, he, uh, the, the clip we played earlier where Dice is explaining himself, explaining the character. Um, it was the same Larry King appearance. And he's doing this media tour where he's kind of doing damage control because he has a... a a movie coming out, The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. I hope I'm getting that right. Um, he has this movie coming out that he's starring in, and this was a big deal for Dice, and he wanted to get into movies badly. And he, always, he compared himself a lot to Eddie Murphy, where Eddie Murphy was as close as you get to Dice to being a rock star comedian. Right. Eddie was pretty close. Yep. Uh, and I would even say he, he definitely fits that category, just wasn't playing the same arenas that Dice ended up doing. He could have done Madison Square Garden maybe one night in a row. <laughs> I, honestly, I think if he stuck with stand-up, he could have done it three nights in a row. He probably. would be unequivocally the biggest stand-up ever if he yeah, stuck if he with it. if he just wanted to do stand-up mm -hmm. as often as he could, then he could have done whatever he wanted, I think. He was that big. Yes. But uh, Eddie said, like, hey, the trajectory for Eddie Murphy was... Um, you know, stand up then movies. So that should be the trajectory for me. So this movie meant a lot to Dice and he starts getting this criticism, this backlash. And that's when Dice goes into damage control and kind of starts saying it's a character. Now we'll get to the one clip um, that supposedly buried him, I guess. <laughs> there is one clip that I guess is somewhat embarrassing, at least at the time for Dice. So we'll talk about that. But in these other appearances, I felt like he handled the damage control in a pretty good way. I'm sure his base, I, I guarantee you if YouTube and Twitter were around in the early 90s, most of the comments would have been pussy, sellout, <laughs> you're going back on what you built. 
Yeah. But Dice saying that a character, at least in hindsight, I think holds up. Where I think you get into a dangerous place with selling out what you were is Amy Schumer. And I recently heard uh, Dan, to bring up Dan Soder again, I heard Soder talking about this in a podcast where, um, where Amy fucked up is um, not just apologizing for jokes. Like she apologized for jokes she made and said she was playing a character. And it was done in a way where people were like, oh, you mean when you were funny? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like Dice isn't saying like, hey, guys, I didn't think any of that stuff was funny. He's saying, no, it's all funny, but just understand that that's not me. And to me, that's more acceptable than Amy being like, I should never have yeah. said any of that. Yeah, but and then you see him on Rogan or wherever, and he's hilarious just telling the story. So it's like... Exactly, yeah. He and is funny. Well, here's also, this is what uh, they were talking about, where this is where Amy really fucked up, is she went on... Um, was it Piers Morgan? I forget what show she went on. When... Um, uh, Kurt Metzger started to get in trouble. He started to get into it with uh, feminists online. And Amy went on and said, like, I love Kurt, but he shouldn't be doing this stuff. And then started disting- distancing herself from him and saying, like, he's not even technically a writer on the show. And that's where I think a lot of comedians were like, oh, well, fuck you, Amy. <laughs> How do you not have your own people's back? <laughs> yeah, right. now, Now you're distancing yourself from the people that helped make your show great. And they were genuine friends of yours. Now you're trying to become something you're not. I don't believe dice did that. I think he was more just really wanted this movie to be successful and was grabbing for whatever branch could help stabilize him. (laughs) (laughs) And I I, like watching a lot of these interviews. I think he pretty did a pretty decent job. The, the one that's questionable is uh, Arsenio, but we'll we'll get to that. Yeah. uh, This is uh, him with Lovitz on SNL. Yeah. So, uh, Nora Dunn protests. Uh, Sinead O'Connor also protested as well and said she wouldn't appear as a musical guest. So when Dice was on the show, um, they referenced they referenced that in the uh, cold open. That's not the worst of it. Oh, sorry, I should set it up a little better. They're doing like a basically a ghost of Christmas present type of thing. Like if you were never born, Dice, this is what the world would be like. That's not the worst of it. Behold! What's that? That is Nora Dunn. (laughs) Because you were never born, she was here that night and was accidentally crushed by Sinead O'Connor's amplifier. <laughs> so good. I mean, good for them for referencing it. I think uh, the line right after that is that Dice says Sinead made a cute bald chick. So, <laughs> but uh, good for them for like referencing it and playing into it. I think that's the best way to handle it that a lot of people lose sight of now. Like n- now, SNL wouldn't be touching that. Did they ever address people protesting Musk or Chappelle? I don't remember that. Uh, no, I don't think I so. I don't. May it's I think, possible during I think, like weekend update or something, maybe? Maybe. And the only thing I remember is I think both Musk and Chappelle made jokes in their opening monologue about it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you would like smart of them to to write it into literally that I think that was the cold open that night. So um the other thing that happened is I guess protesters showed up 
and uh, had to be removed during uh, uh, dress rehearsal or the taping. It might have been the taping where like essentially hecklers had to be removed that were uh, chanting like anti-gay go away or something like that. Um, and Dice's response to that was also pretty good where um, they asked him about it and he said like, yeah, I mean, it's protesters, but it was like three people. You know, like the media can report, oh, protesters, you know, shut down SNL because of Andrew Dice Clay's hosting appearance. But the reality is, is like there's a few people you have security, remove them and no harm, no foul, you know. Right. Uh, and so it's interesting to watch this on display. Like it has kind of I, th- I think not just doing this podcast, but watching any older content, like old episodes of tough crowd and all that type of shit. It's calmed me down with some of the cancel culture stuff where it's, we think like now it's the worst it's ever been. And it's like, Oh, well it's always been the worst it's ever been. And it probably always will be because we're constantly dealing with new and different shit that was acceptable before. And isn't now, but when you look at like what was happening to dice is like, is that really any different than what happened to Chappelle with, with the Netflix stuff? You know? Right. Right. Um, so yeah, uh, you know, MTV thing, how he's banned from MTV. Uh, he's being protested at SNL. So all of these start to accumulate. Now he's having hit pieces written on him and all this kind of stuff. And that's when Dice's career started to kind of hit a bit of a slump. So where are we going now? It's almost like, uh, the way the media and everything treated dice was kind of like how the Rico act was used with criminals. <laughs> like people now are like, Oh, that's how you use it. Let me implement this here with Dave Portnoy and do the exact same. Yeah, shit. I, that's actually, I didn't know where the hell you were going with that, but that's actually a pretty good comparison <laughs> Yeah, yeah. where like, yeah, the groundwork was laid. Hey, like we said about innovative people like Lenny Bruce and dice, <laughs> the media was innovative at the time. They created new ways to try and ruin someone's career. And now the blueprint is kind of out there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> but I, this is him on Marin talking about being a lightning rod. Uh, oh, perfect. And, I used and, to call myself a Brooklyn bozo. I go, how come the press doesn't get that? <laughs> well, I never understood You know, when I'm either. watching Nightline and they're having a debate about me, I'm going, don't they understand I'm just a comic? Why'd they pick you? Well, you know what? I went to such a level to, you know, I was doing, you know, close to 100,000 people a week in concert. And that scared the media. So I became a lightning rod for every group looking for their own attention. So if I picked on the gays, yeah. the gays would attack me. They'd get their <laughs> attention. The women's, the now movement, you know. And I remember I was at um, a restaurant on Sunset. What the fuck is it? Mirabelle's. Yeah. And this woman who runs now walked over to me and goes, now I'm not supposed to say this, but I'm a big fan of yours. Right. You know, and I'm like, look at this. Because I was with, at that time, my ex-wife. Yeah. You know, going, look at this. They, they were a big fan, but yet they're using me to get all this publicity for now. Yeah, I just, so I just I, it just became I couldn't insane. Under, I couldn't understand. Hey, what's interesting is, uh, you look at Eddie Murphy again, to use that example, and we broken down both Delirious and Raw, mm-hmm. and both have a track on the album mm-hmm. that we can't say what it is. <laughs> but it's coming back. We might be able to say it in like a year or two. Uh, Craig's got his fingers crossed, but we'll <laughs> see. Yeah. And, uh, what's interesting about that is like, if you look at what Eddie Murphy was doing on stage, why was he allowed to play the nutty professor and like do uh, Dr. Doolittle and do all these kids movies 
when they were so dead set on taking dice down. I don't know the reason for that. I don't know why that would be. It's I legitimately, I think it's, what were you going to say? I was going to say it's because dice attacks women. And back then you could attack gay people all you wanted. No one gave a shit. <laughs> you know what? That might be something. You might be right about that. I was going to say more. It's, I think dice is a guy that will tell you to go fuck yourself. Yep. And they really resented that. Whereas Eddie Murphy didn't have that attitude. And then once they saw something they could take away from him, which was the adventures of Ford Fairlane movie. I think they saw blood and they could strike and Dice wanted that movie to work. So it kind of worked. Whereas maybe now, like in today, the, the way things are today, what's interesting is, you know, we think of it as so much worse now, but now with the other avenues to do things like Dice could still figure out a way to put movies out now, I think. Oh, yeah. You know, in some form or fashion, even if he was canceled, there would be some outlet that would house his stuff. Um, I get, tell that to Louie, I guess, but in, in general <laughs> speaking, um, back then dice kind of had to be beholden to the, the, the powers that be the studios and all of that, because if you wanted to be a movie star, there was only one way to do it. There's only one Avenue. So, uh, they saw blood and they got it, which I think resulted in our next clip, right? Uh, Kinnison. Oh no, I'm sorry. <laughs> Let's play. Can we play uh, the Arsenio one first? Sure. I just think it's more relevant to what we're talking about. Yes, it is. So this is what they say sunk. Um, uh, what sunk dice and the dice persona? Mm-hmm. Because you realized, oh, there's a there's a human being in there. He's he's there's more to the man than we realize. Right. And I think to a lot of dice's audience, especially this time, it was oh, you fucking pussy. Yeah. <laughs> so this is him on Arsenio. Kind of trying to explain, hey, there's more than meets the eye to the Dice character. Andrew Clay, no, let me get this straight. And and everybody watching and everybody in the studio should hear it. Andrew Clay is a guy that came out here about 10 years ago. And he broke his ass. Know what I mean? Just (laughs) laughing at him. Can I tell you what this reminds me of? The uh, when Michael Richards apologized on Letterman to the Afro Americans, where the where the audience is like, this isn't real, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's good. Dice is having a real mo, a real human moment here. But you're you're used to fucking, you know, what's in the bowl, bitch? Right? (laughs) Suck my goo, (laughs) (laughs) fondle my yam bag, yo. You don't think that guy's going to cry, you know? Right. And he's actually, he's like legitimately upset. <laughs> this is, he sees his career, right? He sees everything that he's built. The rocket ship that he's been on is, is plummeting to earth. And he's having a real moment here where the audience is like, well, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> you know what I mean? Broke his ass. He believed in himself. Became the hottest comic in the world. And anybody that doesn't like it could wipe their ass with whatever they say about me. No, because just let me say this, because I always believe that you could take yourself and put yourself... (laughs) No, I get choked up, because you put yourself where you want to be. And, uh, 
Now, it's so interesting about like the, the the rules in society and to an extent I do understand them because like that ruined dice. Yeah. <laughs> like it, it ruined what we thought the, the character was. And even like on stage, he started to pull back for a time and doing more like not family or like he was still an edgy comic, but he was more talking about being married and having kids and shit like that rather than just, you know, fucking broads and putting them in their place. um, So it did affect his material. Yeah. I forget what special, I forget the name of it, but uh, I think it was the next one that comes out when he's in the round and he comes out in like the, uh, in like the boxing attire. He kind of does that on the special too. Right. Yeah. So is this, what's interesting about that though is like, it's all about your reputation and who, you know, um, who society thinks you are. Because if you're a uh, clean, co- like if Hugh Grant cried on Leno in that famous appearance, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would really give a shit. You no, know, no. Like, I don't think we'd be talking about it today. Whereas that's like a famous dice on Arsenio crying is a famous clip because people were like, what the fuck is this? It's just something so unexpected from dice. So it's kind of all how you, 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 you build yourself like the, you know, the famous example, I think, well, we see Fallon, I was going to say Ellen, but we see Fallon going through it now where Fallon's getting a lot of shit for being like a, a, a horrible guy to work for, like a tough boss, I guess a pain in the ass to work for. Mm-hmm. Now, someone like, I'm trying to think of an example. Well, if you found out dice was difficult to work for, would anyone be like, get out of here? No. What? That guy? Yeah, no, no. He's a bit erratic. I can't yeah. imagine that. Now, and if Jimmy Fallon cried on The Tonight Show, which he pretty much did when he apologized for doing Chris Rock, uh, that wouldn't really surprise anyone because he's more, he seems like a more sensitive guy. So it's really about what your reputation is, is, is the, 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 the level of, I stopped myself from saying barometer for the 15th time on this episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's the, the level of what you're allowed to get away with. And because of, uh, you know, the persona that dice created, he wasn't allowed to get away with crying on, on Arsenio. That really hurt him. People give him a lot of shit for that. Yeah. Um, All right. So you want to get back to the uh, Kinnison clip? Now we're at Kinnison, yeah. Yeah. So we talked about about this a little bit in the Kinnison episode, and I thought mm. it was interesting to find Dice's perspective. You saw Kinnison was very bitter about Dice yep. and would say that essentially Dice stole his entire act. Not even close. Like the only reason, he basically said the only reason that Dice is famous is because Kinnison got famous. Now, I definitely see the similarities but I think there's a tremendous amount of differences. I think they're actually like completely different. I was going to say they, they might be like 3% the same. I mean, they're, you know, they're both loud, bombastic t- characters, but like material wise, I don't think they're doing the same thing <laughs> yeah. at all. Really. Other than like the vulgarity, I guess you could say they swear. And that's about it. Uh, dice. Yeah, I'm pretty sure dice swear is, and they're loud and they're confident. Dice is like straight edge. I think <laughs> he doesn't do drugs. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know. It's interesting. Cause like Kinnison would also essentially call dice a hack yet claim that dice was doing his act. So what it's I, a little what, bit of like, which is it? What happened was Kinnison fried his brain with drugs 
Dice didn't, and his career kept going up and up and up, and Kinnison was jealous that it didn't come to him as easy as yeah. it did to him. You, you hear a lot of bitterness in Kinnison when you hear him describe it, and a big part of the reason I say that is because when you hear Dice describe it, I think it's a much more level-headed perspective. So Kinnison was there who... I always say he was having a rivalry with me. I was happy for him when his career took off. I was thrilled for him. He had no problem with me because I was on the show Crime Story at the time. But And he was doing, I don't know, four or 5,000 seats a night. He was the guy before I took off. When my career took off, it went straight to arenas. I was doing eighty to 100,000 people a week. And he just couldn't handle it for whatever reason. And bitterness kills a lot of comedians like that. Uh, not literally, obviously. I'm, I forgot Kinnison died when I said that. <laughs> I was going to say co- I mean. cocaine does. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean the Car accidents also kill people, I understand. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm saying internally, like, you see, you've seen a lot of comedians over the years suffer from that bitterness and judging your career based on what other people are doing. And I think Kinnison looked at Dice selling out Madison Square Garden and all these arenas and saying, well, I should be bigger than him. I'm funnier. And I think if you look at the subject matter, like, yes, Kinnison was touching on more important things than Dice, definitely. Mm -hmm. But who gives a shit? Right. (laughs) You know, Dice was making people laugh. The goal of both was to make people laugh. They both did it uh, tremendously. They're two of the greatest to ever do it. Now, the best comparison to this is uh, Dane Cook, I think, because I don't think Dane Cook is as talented as uh, Dice. Extremely talented, though. Sure, I know Craig loves him. (laughs) But but, um, what happened to a lot of people during that time is they got extremely bitter towards Dane. And I think it hurt their careers because they came became fixated on trashing Dane (laughs) more than really doing their own work. And thinking about what got them to the next level. And I don't I don't think that happened with Kinnison. I think Kinnison had a lot of other demons he was facing. But when you heard Kinnison talk about Dice, you definitely heard a lot of that bitterness where mm-hmm. Dice was like, yeah, I don't know. We were friends, and then one day we weren't, I guess. It was weird. Yeah. And it's weird, too, if you look at, like, the grand scheme of comedy. Like, Kinnison is popular, but in, in the big picture, he was almost like a just like a big blip. He was there for, like, a um, second <laughs> and then gone. I don't know about that because if you look at it, he was he was popular longer than Dice was. Dice was just more popular for a shorter burst of time. I you think. think so? Yeah. I, well, it's it's also hard to measure because Dice is alive <laughs> and Kinnison died in what ninety three or something like that. Yeah, I still feel like Dice was. I mean, he's still popular. I mean, he's not doing arenas. Well, that's but- what I mean. That's that's why I'm I'm comparing it until Kinnison died. So it's hard to say because. Around the time Kinnison died, Dice really started to plummet, and his career kind of went. So was Kinnison too, though. But then Dice came back. Yeah, that's why. That's what I'm saying. It's I. I can't really measure it. Yeah, because Kinnison hasn't done any gigs lately. But when, so. <laughs> but when he when he was still alive, his last record or two were terrible. I forget if it was one or two, but and he was on a. Rogan talks about it all the time too. He was just yeah. not the same because he was well, too a lot focused of those on other guys. Shit. You hear about it with Hedberg a mm-hmm. lot, yep. where Hedberg at the end was a complete mess. Yep. A lot of those drug guys, the end of their career uh, is not a great, great uh, uh, 
it tarnishes their memory a little bit if you were anyone that like worked with them. Like if you hear old Hedberg stories about, mm-hmm. it's not that he was like a bad guy or anything. It was just like he was belligerent all the time. Like he was fucking zonked out of his mind. Yeah, and plus too with kidneys. Like I don't, I don't think they're really that similar. Uh, similar, except I don't either. I think it was that they, they were loud guys that were popular. <laughs> yeah, but like <laughs> loud vulgar guys that were popular. I, that to me, that's really the only comparison. I'm sure if you broke it down, there's some things that Dice touched on that they, were definitely similar. Women, um, women sometimes maybe, but like that's not an exclusive to those two only topic. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. And Dice was um, loud, but like his personality was loud. Kinnison was just literally loud. Yeah. But I say this all the time. We said it on Blind Mike Project recently, where the one thing I'm happy about with like Matt Reif's success is people have bottled up their bitterness about it. Really? You know what I mean? Like mm. I, I'm sure a lot of guys can't understand why he's so popular and everything, but I'm glad I haven't seen it like fucking derail people's careers. Yeah. Because they're Lenny Bruce reading court transcripts about Matt Rife. I think, you know, <laughs> I think the, the difference is when Dane Cook was a monster and he was a monster, mm-hmm. uh, he was more or less the only person using social media to become huge. And now it's yeah. kind of how everyone makes a living. Yeah. Yeah. You can pair it, compare Matt Rife to 15 other influencers that might not even be comedians, but right. Exactly. Um, all right, back to back to business here. Yeah, we have. Um, uh, let's see. Not prepared with Tom Green. Yeah, so this is just this is Dice kind of talking about like the the how he handled his downfall. Like I said, I think he did a pretty good job. There's some stuff in hindsight. Maybe we could, or at the time, I'm sure a lot of people, more people actually, were saying like this could be done better or whatever. But this is Dice kind of talking honestly about dealing with all of that. Why would you write that? Was that surprising when that happened, when the controversy started? I, was, I wasn't prepared for it at all. You know, because I, I did comedy for 10 years before my career took off. And I would always get interviewed and newspapers would put out like great interviews. And then the minute my special, The Dice Man Cometh, aired, the next day the New York Times had the headline... The demise of Western civilization. <laughs> That's a pretty, so I wasn't prepared. Right, it's a pretty big accomplish, accomplishment though to be responsible for the demise yeah. of civilization. Yeah, I destroyed <laughs> everything. <laughs> you know, that was a very Letterman delivery from Tom Green. Tom Green's excellent. The demise of civilization. <laughs> He's excellent. I like Tom. I mean, we did a whole episode about mm-hmm. how underrated Tom Green is, but. Uh, yeah, it, it's uh, the, the other thing that reminded me of, by the way, is that Dice, we're talking about, you know, is his downfall here, but you're right. It wasn't crazy rap because he was also doing pay-per-view uh, specials right? that so I think one had like a hundred thousand buys or something like that. That's insane. And that's, you know, you're talking about like Schultz put a special out on uh, Moment House. Um, you know, obviously there's a bunch of subscription services and things now, but you start a bunch of podcasts were doing those live streaming on moment. I mean, uh, Kirk, maybe while this episode comes out, I think, uh, Kirk's doing that barstool is going to start doing that shit. I'm sure more and more where like you're live streaming these events. Dice was doing it 30 years ago. Right. And, <laughs> and people were, people were buying it and they were probably charging like a shitload of money for it. Yeah, I was, I, I was doing, <laughs> that's a funny thing is I realized like I was doing the math that like, Oh, he made a million bucks probably. And then I realized he was probably charging 40, $50 for that. Yeah, oh yeah. Boxing back then all pay-per-views yeah. were 80, 
<laughs> Somewhere between 50 well, I mean, and 100. That's another, that's another comparison. We've been calling him a rock star comedian, but like no comedian at that time could have trudged pay-per-views, I don't think. No, definitely Again, not. Again, Eddie Murphy, But he, he was long out of the game by that point. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's a, a very short list of guys that could have done that. Now comedy is at the type of boom where everyone has their audience and everything. So, you know, if, if well, we just said Schultz, um, if, if Gillis charged... 20 bucks for a special that he was stripped. People would buy it easily mm-hmm. because the world's just so different now. And Louie would like sell his albums on his website and everything um, or his specials on his website. It, it, people also, also look back at him kind of like he has like the, you know, the aura of like a Rolling Stones type deal, you know? Yeah. Like he's a, he's a big deal. And every, every, he's one of those comics that everyone, if you're into comedy or not knows his name. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, the thing, the biggest thing about Dice when we're like reflecting on his career like this is that I think he's looked at as the big doofus that read nursery rhymes and talked about his cum on stage. (laughs) And he really is so much more than that. Like, that's the main message I wanted to get across (laughs) to anyone, to anyone, anyone younger that doesn't know that is like how much he really did for comedy and kind of shaped the way a lot of stuff is today or was certainly a part of shaping it. That's funny. Um, next, uh, I think we have two clips left. Um, okay. We have his Instagram and then our favorite segment. Oh, of course. Yeah. So um, real quick, just to kind of get all the way up to uh, the Current 2010s. Yeah. Um, so like I said, Dice was in a bit of a slump. Um, he he was a tremendous radio guest. I thought we, we I pulled so many clips that I thought maybe we'll do like Dice on radio as a totally separate episode. I would love that. That would be a great one. Because he was a great radio guest. Yep. Because he's so confrontational, he can be an asshole and then like 10 minutes later be like, oh, I guess I was wrong about that. <laughs> but he had confrontations with Artie on, uh, about like not paying Artie Lang for gigs and stuff like that on Howard Stern. Um, he, uh, uh, the, the, the one that I almost pulled clips for and then said like, yeah, let's save it for a separate episode is he got into it. He's, him and Stern are going at it where they're basically calling each other failures. And uh, Dice says that Stern is closeted gay, which that accusation <laughs> lives today <laughs> came out a lot more in recent years lives today. Yeah. But, but uh, uh, like Howard was calling Dice a failure and saying, I did all this stuff. Here. And Dice is sitting there and taking it and giving it back to Howard. Like he really was a great radio guest. And with Opie and Anthony, same thing where he would get into, get into it with Opie, uh, pretty good. I was gonna say Opie and Anthony. He would get into it with Opie over the years. Him and Opie would go back and forth, and uh, and then eventually, like that's what was great about Dice is he would have these, you know, say horrible shit about people, and then be like, ah, I guess I apologize for that. Who cares? <laughs> <laughs> he didn't. He didn't take anything too hard. Like he, he did. He was a sensitive guy, but that like I'm not describing it well because it sounds like I'm describing kind of an asshole who just says shit about people and then backs away from it. But the way Dice did it is a way that I think he could only get away with. Um, and so uh, the Opie and Anthony connection is uh, he was able to sell out Madison Square Garden a third time, uh, in large part doing Opie and Anthony a lot when they were number one in afternoons in New York. Um, he started doing their show with more regularity and uh, he sold out Madison Square Garden again. And the other big thing he did, like when we talked about Artie Lang, um, we played the clip where Norm was on Howard and was like, Hey, do you guys want to talk to my bud Artie? He's outside. Can I bring him in? And then obviously, you know, history was born or Artie Lang was a huge part of the Howard Stern show. 
Um, Dice, this is even kind of more bizarre or more um, uh, like, you know, one in a million chance type of thing because Dice was on the phone and was like, hey, do you guys want to talk to my opener? He's got great stories. And opening they were like, I guess. <laughs> and he just puts Jim Norton on the phone. He tells a couple stories that they liked. They ended up having him in. And then uh, next thing, Jim Norton's essentially the co-host of the Opie and Anthony show for the next 13 years. Uh, 14 years, I think. So, yeah, because I think it went from that. Then he would, he would go in studio. Then he was in like twice a week or something at first. Uh, Norton? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. Then, and then he was in permanent. And then he was in full time. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Dice had a huge impact on radio. We'll do a separate episode for that. Um, and then kind of just quietly did stand. I mean, he had like a reality show. He did a bunch of different things like that, that weren't, um, you know, crazy successful or anything. Yeah. The one true shame that I thought should have been a lot bigger. And I think a lot of shows die on Showtime that would be successful on HBO. Yep. Um, you know, like Showtime has a lot of hits, of course, but, uh, I, I think it's harder to have something hit on Showtime than it would be HBO. And Dice's show is essentially Curb, but Dice instead of Larry David, mm-hmm. which sounds, it sounds like I'm saying he's ripping off Curb. I think you can tell by Dice's personality versus Larry David. It's an entirely different show. Right. Um, but I thought it was really good. And like people say that uh, the um, Adrian Brody episode like I've heard some people say that's their favorite episode of television. <laughs> like people love that <laughs> yeah. that ep- that particular episode. Um, so it was only one six episode season. Natasha Leggero was in it as his uh, girlfriend. Um, I thought it was very good. Didn't get picked up, unfortunately. Um, but like he's had a pretty solid comeback overall as far as just a stand up, and he goes on podcasts and yeah. crushes. Um, and he's kind of he's settled in nicely to being a legend, basically. Exactly, he is a legend, and um, Entourage. Actually, I know we brought it up oh, earlier. Yes, thank you. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I should have mentioned that. Yeah, that's kind of what revived them, and then got him that um, the Woody Allen movie. Yes. Yep. Yeah. So he he gives Entourage massive credit. So Doug Allen. Uh, friend of the show, by the way, on an early episode of Blind Mike Project. That's right. <laughs> um, he uh, he was obviously a huge Dice fan. I guess uh, Doug Allen did stay. He started out as a stand-up mm-hmm. and then got more into writing. Um, and he was a huge Dice fan. And so when, you know, they were looking for someone that the role was, they were super famous and kind of now they're washed up a little bit. And they chose Dice, and Dice just played himself, was great in the role, and was perfect for it. Because it was a guy, like he keeps it, you know, that's where uh, Dice does the fucking comes from, or got popularized. Dice does the fucking, and uh, Johnny's Bananas. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) because the role was so perfect for him. And he got to see a little bit of his acting chops as well. And I guess Woody Allen put him in that Blue Jasmine movie, Mm -hmm. which he crushed it in. A lot of the interviews that I watched for this, cutting clips from, he's like, eh, I'm not expecting an Oscar, but who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he was, so, uh, the reviews yeah, for him in that well. movie are like nutty good. Like everyone says he was excellent in it. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing I wanted to talk about too. Like I, t- I mentioned the impressions. He's also a great actor. Yeah. Like, it's a shame. Oh, I'm an idiot. Shame on me for forgetting to mention this. I wanted to pull the clip, but the, I thought the whole interview was on YouTube when Kirk had Dice on. It's not on YouTube, unfortunately. The only thing that was on YouTube was like the aftermath with K Marco. Oh, right. So I couldn't find my question to him. But uh, I I asked, Kirk was having a great time. Oh, yeah. Andrew Dice Clay. <laughs> I forgot about this. They're having a great they're yeah. having a great interview. 
And I pipe in with my tidbit of information. I need to talk to Dice. I say, hey, Dice. Yeah, I really just wanted to, sp- I wanted Dice to hear my voice. Yeah. And I go, hey, Dice, uh, you know, I read that um, you were originally supposed to be cast in My Cousin Vinny in the Joe Pesci role. Like, that was written for Dice, at least according to what I read. And I say according to what I read because I still don't have an answer. Because at that moment, he goes... Hey, you know, I'm supposed to get out of here, but uh, I like you guys. I'm going to stick around a little longer. <laughs> and he didn't answer my, he just ignored my question and kept talking to Kirk. <laughs> so I'll never know. I'll, I'll never know the real answer to that. But yeah, that's the, the legend is that uh, he was supposed to play uh, Pesci and my cousin Vinny. And, uh, you know, I tried to hammer him on it, but he wouldn't answer me. <laughs> Can't ask him questions like that, man. <laughs> that literally, that started a trend of like, Six times I tried to pipe into an interview and I was either ignored or talked over or almost like uh, the, the guests did not care for me. It was like almost like they were given a heads up when you hear this voice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was bizarre. <laughs> Until Artie Lang, I think Artie Lang was the only person that answered me, which yes. does give me some solace. I yes, think. he liked you. Um, all right. So uh, then we get to. Well, like I, I said he's easing in nicely to being a legend. And, uh, you know, when I saw him live, he does talk more now about um, being married and all that kind of shit. It's more. He's almost become the Dice character could have been a great like sitcom dad <laughs> because it would have been different and it would have been similar and it would have been kind of married with children, that type of vibe. Mm hmm. I think he's kind of settled into that sort of role on stage a little bit. He's still very funny, uh, but his greatest bit is what he's been doing on Instagram where he approaches people. And this is where you get into self-deprecation. He never did it when he was younger, but now he realizes that he's older. Maybe he's lost something. And he notices that people must want his picture on the street. (laughs) So he approaches them. Yeah, I'm not taking pictures now. Yeah, you want a picture? No, no. You wanted one? No. <laughs> you want to take a picture for you? No, I thought you were a fan and wanted a picture of me. I get it. No. You sure? Yes. I get no, it. <laughs> no, because I was thinking... I could see you're a fan. It's okay, and I'm very <laughs> grateful for Thanksgiving. And... Maybe you wanted a picture just with me. No, 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 no. It's okay. A lot of people uh, get nervous to approach me. You know what I mean? Just because of the movie stardom and everything. And so if you want a picture. I'm good. What? I'm good. (laughs) He's so hurt by it. I know. Thanksgiving. I like I like the idea like he get, he's gonna go home you're not gonna believe this guy was chasing me he finds out like three weeks later when this is posted he's yeah, like oh my some god asshole <laughs> it was Andrew Dice Clay <laughs> well the the true beauty of that bit is that you know Dice is famous enough that undoubtedly he had to delete videos where the guy was like oh holy shit Dice right <laughs> you know what I mean like undoubtedly people recognize him and know who he is but like he so that's what's crazy is. What's hilarious about Dice is that he's doing that often enough to get good footage. (laughs) Just going up to people in airports and on the street. I think it would be just as funny, though, as if he did that and they did recognize him and it was just him like, see, I'm fishing for pictures. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a great bit. Do you remember me? (laughs) It's honestly, it's... it's, 
put it at the top of how anyone is using Instagram or TikTok. Oh, like, a thousand it's, it's percent. a great bit. A thousand percent. A thousand. Um, so, yeah, good for Dice. Still crushing it. I, I would recommend, I mean, it was a few years ago that I saw him. I think he still does very well. I mean, part of it is like, holy shit, you're seeing Dice. So I imagine that's an element of it. But like, he still made me laugh when I saw him. So oh, I recommend yeah. going to see him if you can. And you probably got all pumped up during the nursery rhymes. <laughs> Without a doubt. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I'm saying. <laughs> um, so uh, we end, of course, as we often try to, uh, with a little bit of norm to cleanse our palate and go into uh, the, the, you know, go the rest of our days with. But uh, first, let me tell you, before we hear from Norm, to go to blindmike.net, if you would be so kind. Mm. Um, that's where you can get all the links to this show, all the links to the Blind Mike Project, and who are these socials. Uh, if you want to support all those shows for free, our YouTube is up there as well. Um, these episodes come out every Thursday. We have bonus episodes a couple times a month as well. Um, you can become a YouTube member for those or subscribe to the Patreon. Um, you also get these episodes a week early if you're on Patreon. So subscribe if you want to support the show. Uh, or just support us for free. We appreciate it. And you can go to verygoodshow.org mm-hmm. to support Craig. I mean, you think Dice is crazy. Yeah. the uh, Dice talking about <laughs> splooging in a girl's eye on MTV was the bad boy of comedy. Yeah. Go the, check out Very Good Show. Yeah, the great Justin Trudell was on this week to talk about... My uh, God. Yeah, porn he watched um, because he was on antidepressants and he wasn't sure if his dick was working anymore. It's disgusting. Uh, Maybe go check it out. What a bit. What a bit. <laughs> As only you can. Yeah. <laughs> the I, I Mike would, Wallace. Of- <laughs> it, it came out of nowhere. It was very funny. <laughs> uh, yeah. So go check all that stuff out. Support the boys if you'd be so kind. All right, I don't even remember what Norm's talking about here. I just know that he was talking about Dice and I pulled it. <laughs> I, Colin Quinn told me about Andrew Dice Clay. Oh, that yeah. When he had already crested and was kind of falling down, Colin said, what if you just change your image completely? And and I'll write you jokes, right. but they'll be very high tone jokes. So that his I, I can't do uh, I can't do an impression, but uh, he'd be like, "Hey, uh, uh, you know, uh, I was reading the Cahiers de Cinema the other day. <laughs> you can't go wrong with Jean Luc Godard." Oh! <laughs> you never really did that. <laughs> Imagine unconstitutional presented by dice (laughs) (laughs) essentially at least the way norm's presenting it there is that colin's idea would be like the dennis miller dennis miller is like highbrow material but with dice's voice yeah no which is a comedy combination that i can only dream of i wish that happened (laughs) but fortunately we never got it dice will come out with red state blue state but it'll be (laughs) b-l-e-w <laughs> yeah. So uh dare to dream. We never got it, unfortunately. But hey, maybe in Dice's latter years. Who knows? That'd be great. Uh all right, everybody. Thank you for uh thank you for joining us. Um there's plenty more to talk about with Dice, so if we missed anything, let us know and we'll do a future episode. I'm sure he's one of those guys that will uh definitely do more episodes of. There's plenty to talk about. So let us know anything we missed. Um, any suggestions you guys have for future episodes? I believe next week will be Norm McDonald, me doing stand-up. Uh, Two weeks. No. <laughs> next week, based on how these are coming out. Oh, if you're on Patreon, two weeks. Yeah. We <laughs> talked to you two weeks ago, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, so join us next week for our 100th episode. 
And uh, we'll talk to you guys later on Why Are You Laughing? Zip it up and zip it out. Here we go.